Happy Father's Day again. I know that's already been said, but it's exciting to be here this morning. You know, I'm reminded as I look into this week and see the temperatures that are coming, that when I first moved to Arizona 20 years ago, somebody told me, a pastor told me, he said, you know, eight months out of the year, don't preach on heaven, because people think they're already there. Four months out of the year, don't preach on hell, because people think they're already there. So, So I'll see if I can take that advice today and see if I can use that, but anyway... If you invited me over to your house to watch a ball game or something, say the Super Bowl or something that's pretty significant, or just to see some movie or whatever of nature or whatever, and I get to your house, but especially if it's a ball game, and I get there, and all you've got is a radio. And I go, well, what's the deal here? And he goes, you go, well, that's all I've got. I've been listening to it on the radio, listening to the ball games on the radio for years. And that's really all I have, all the access I have, that's all I've got. And I said, well, you need to come over to my house. Even though I don't have this at this point, but if I was at my house. And all of a sudden, you sit down and you see a 4K UHD 80-inch TV. And we watch the ball game. I think sometimes that's what happens inside the church with Christians. When it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you think you've still got just a radio and that's all you've got access to. And God is opening you up to UHD 4K. If, you, if I've showed many, many times over the last many, many months the, the Barna slide, the maximum faith. Let's see if it works here. Oh, by the way, today, we have got some challenges with our PowerPoint, so I'm going I'm to ask you to do something that's really unheard of this day and age. Use your Bible. It's going to be one of the things that I'm going to ask you. I know it's kind of blowing you away going, nobody's, nobody gave me a heads up on that. And uh, so you've got that. Uh, but the other part is, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the slides up or not. But many of you know, as I've used that slide, and I hope they come up because it has been freezing on us this morning, is that... One of the big challenges for, the, for America, especially inside the church, is, is that, there it is right there, is that so many of the church, so much of the church, stays in five and back. And when you get to number seven, we're talking about people in the church. We're not even talking about people outside the church or people who don't believe in God. We're talking about people inside the church also. When they come to the point where the Spirit has drawn them to experience personal brokenness. And let me say this to you. Many times when we talk about brokenness, let me define it here. Many times when we talk about brokenness, we think there had to be some kind of crisis that's happened in our lives. That's how we define brokenness. That boy, God's breaking me here. Let me tell you the biggest crisis you'll ever have in your life. When you realize you're a self-centered son of a gun. And God begins to deal with that self-centered nature. He begins to point out to you how selfish and self-centered you are. And the old man, as the scripture says, has to die. That's a crisis. <laughs> Way before. A crisis as we would qualify it. So we get challenged, and and, and Barna says this, and I I love his statement on this. He says, we're active, number five, but stalled. The engine is running, but gears are not engaged. 
We're burning a lot of fuel, but not going anywhere. Does that describe your journey in faith right now? You're active, you're doing a lot of things, but you feel stalled. Last week we talked in Acts chapter 1 and Jesus talking to the disciples, telling them, and as we started the, the, the series on Acts, he basically ends up telling the guys, I know you've got this dream of overthrowing the Roman government and Roman Empire, at least here in, Jer- in Jerusalem and Israel, but your dream ain't big enough. What I am going to do is endue you with power to be my witnesses in Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, we're going to jump the borders. But he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, go wait. Go wait. I mean, if I'm the disciples, and you, if we were one of those, how many of us would have really waited? I mean, especially in the town where they just crucified Jesus, maybe in Galilee, maybe somewhere else, but you're asking me to wait here. Obviously, there were reasons for that. But as they were waiting, was there impatience in the air? Was there... Had there been excitement, Jesus ascended, he said, hey, I've got this coming, but all of a sudden maybe there's boredom, or maybe it was like waiting for the Cardinals to win a Super Bowl. Maybe it was like that. You, be, you keep believing, but somehow or another it doesn't ever quite happen. <laughs> maybe you're like a kid at Christmas. There's nothing but excitement. Or like a baby about to be born into your family. There's excitement, but there's apprehension at the same time. Or is it like waiting in a doctor's office, waiting for test results? Jesus says the one's coming. An idea of the Holy Spirit uh, to the disciples was not a new one, obviously. Jesus had talked about it, uh, talked about the sending the Holy Spirit in, his, uh, in John 16, 7, which you have, would have to look up, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, however, I'm telling you the sober truth. The best thing that could ever happen to you is for me to go away. Now, if you were the disciples and you're hearing these words and you don't understand the Holy Spirit and Jesus is there with you, you've seen the miracles, you see what it is, and he tells you, the best thing that happened to you is me not to be here. It would take some processing to try to figure out what that means. But what he's saying to them, and it goes on to say, because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I do go away, I will send him to you. If Jesus stays, the disciples only have access to the power of God if Jesus is with them. But if he goes away and sends the Spirit, now we have access to the power wherever we are. Because the Spirit lives in us. And goes with us. Now I realize this morning. Some of the things we're going to be talking about in Acts chapter 2. Or maybe every week we come here. There's things we may talk about that seem kind of outlandish. It seemed like you've got to be pretty gullible to believe that. But this morning's going to be one of those mornings. And what I love about what Jesus is saying to them, Jesus is seeing something. He's seeing the future. 
Jesus is standing from a vantage point of knowing what's going to happen to the disciples. He doesn't see disaster on the horizon. He sees the foreshadow of an unstoppable force. What I love about it is Jesus doesn't see the disciples the way they are. He sees the disciples the way they can be. That's good news for some of you in here this morning. Uh, that, that God, when he looks at your life, if as messed up as it may be and as broken as it may be and all the things that go with it, he doesn't just see you where you are. He sees you the way you could be. By the coming of the Spirit, this dream that they had of, of overthrowing the Roman Empire, this way too small dream was about to leap the boundaries of Palestine and go to the ends of the earth. He promises them a living and present guide. He promises them the power and the resources. With the coming of the Spirit, the witness is about to begin. The time of waiting is over. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, going to go through verse 12. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Amphelia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and uh, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Acts chapter 2, and, and the first part of that, well, actually, all of Acts chapter 2 really is the and Pentecost has been called the birthday of the, of the church, if you will. And it signifies the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, as most of you already know in this room. But it allows them to all, all of a sudden begin to understand as they hear, as they speak languages they've never spoken before. Or maybe the people were just hearing them in languages, uh, in their own language. I'm not sure exactly what the disciples were doing. I'm not even sure exactly what they were saying. But on this day, the ends of the earth had come to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus obviously called them to stay there. And some have suggested in the Feast of Pentecost, there were maybe 200,000 people there, 200,000 Jews from Palestine and the Mediterranean. Maybe 15 languages we see there. There's multiple languages. Maybe there's 50. Maybe there's more. I, I don't know. But beginning at Pentecost, these barriers that had been there for so long, 
Those of social barriers, those of gender barriers, those of racial barriers would be overcome and the gospel would be shared with every person under the sun. And you know, when I look at that and go, how can you speak one message and people hear it differently? Obviously, I don't even speak English well. South Arkansas, I can translate as most of you know. But I do believe this. There are Sundays I walk in and I speak a message that's heard differently by everybody in the room. I come in with an intent to speak a message, something I have in mind, but you walk away with a different message. You walk away with it speaking to your life exactly where you are with your story. And I mentioned a few weeks ago about Babel and how one language, God said, there is power in one language. I have to disperse them around the world because if not, it's almost limitless what they could do if they stayed together in one language. What I love about this, and, and it's been suggested, and Luke doesn't say intently, he doesn't say it is here, so I'm not, I, I, but it's been suggested that Pentecost basically reverses Babel. Even though there's multiple languages, there's one message. And I love the fact, I wish I had known, and maybe you, you're smarter than me, I don't know exactly what they were saying in those languages. It's just the message was heard in different languages. Obviously, and we're not even sure everybody saw tongues of fire or saw the wind, but they heard the language. They heard the message. But what we do know is, The disciples were declaring the wonders of God. That's all it said. It said they were amazed and perplexed. I think that's a great evangelistic strategy. Declare the wonders of God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, declare the wonders of God. Matter of fact, maybe where you need to start is that you start being wondered by God. And what I mean by that is you need to be in awe of an almighty God. You need to see his fingerprints everywhere because they're there. I know for me, when I gave my life to the Lord, as many of you know, at 27 years old, I began to see the world in a different... There was a, there was a world going on around me I didn't even know existed. And I know that sounds crazy maybe to some people in here, but there literally was a, another world going on that I could not see because I didn't have the eyes to see. Jesus talks about being, when when you're talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's talking about the fact that when you're born again, you're born of water and born of spirit. And now the illustration I use there is this. When we're born from our mother's womb, the water breaks. (laughs) When we're born from our mother's womb, if everything is working correctly, we have hands to do what they can't do yet. They were in my mother's womb. I had eyes to see, but I couldn't see yet. I had ears to hear, but they couldn't hear yet. I had a nose to smell, but it couldn't smell yet. I had feet to go, but they couldn't go yet. But when I'm born naturally, all of a sudden, as they mature, I'm able to use those. Being born of the Spirit. To be created in the image of God. When we're born again, the Spirit begins to let us have eyes to see that we're always there, but we didn't know it. 
We have ears to hear what we could never have heard before. We have a tongue to speak where we'd never have spoken before. We have feet that would go where they would never go there before. We have hands to put to, put to things we would never do. We have a heart that will love in a way that it could never love before. Born of the Spirit. Changes everything. We go from radio to at least black and white TV. <laughs> what I love about walking in the Spirit and, and, and this tw- almost 30 years now of walking with the Lord is that I started out maybe as a radio and I heard him and man, I could hear him. I knew he was stirring. That's back when I was 16, 17 years old and the Spirit was drawing me. And the, I figured the best way to avoid the conviction I was under and everything I was under, the best way to avoid that was quit being around people who were Christian and quit going to church, and I did. But I knew it was real. And it wasn't because somebody was yapping at me. I knew it inside. But I hardened my heart. And for a decade, as many of you know, not only did I almost destroy myself, I, I tried to, not intentionally, I wouldn't say that, but selfishly damage other people along the way. I knew it was real. But when the Spirit comes, yes, it brings wonder, it brings clarity, it brings amazement, but it brings conviction, but not condemnation. It brings conviction. We'll read about it if, if I get. If we're trying to figure out if I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm preaching it next week. Peter's first sermon, and the word says it pierced their heart. When the Spirit comes, the power it convicts us. But what I love about the Spirit is. If you walk in it, it has the opportunity to remove all fear, to remove all shame, and to remove all slavery. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from undue burdens. In literature, what I love about in literature, the wind is a sign or an emblem of liberty. What I love about the wind is we may be able to tell its direction, whether north or south or east or west, and we can invent instruments to measure its force and velocity. And we may be able to watch it blow through the trees and across the plains as a mighty tornado. And we can sometimes even predict a hurricane, but do nothing about it except just get out of the way. The Greek word for wind and spirit is the word pneuma. John chapter 3, Jesus again is back talking to Nicodemus. And he's saying to Nicodemus, do you hear it? Nicodemus, do you you hear it? The wind blows where it pleases. Jesus says in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it blows. It blows where it blows when it wants to blow. <laughs> Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you well, willing to allow the wind of the Spirit to blow in your life? 
Have you taken certain things off the table? Do you head for shelter when you see the wind blowing? For you, it may be your ideology. For you, it may be a bottle. For you, it just may be built-in excuses you've used forever. But when the wind becomes to, begins to blow, I believe it's just much like what it was for the disciples. The time of waiting is over. When the, when the Spirit begins to blow and you harden your heart, and you think somehow or another you're satisfied when you quit sensing the blowing, <laughs> that's a terrible place to be. It's a terrible place to be. You think you found freedom. What you found is the worst bondage you'll ever be in. Because you don't sense it anymore. Oh, I remember those years of being in bars and being in places, and sometimes I would even be drunk, and, I, and, and you could say, well, uh, okay, I, you, you, you may just be making this up. I remember the, the spirit coming back to my mind, sitting in bars going, Wow. There's something about this. And I'd harden my heart now, I, I, that part of it. But I can remember the Spirit. It had to be the Spirit. I couldn't have identified it as the Spirit. But something was bringing things to my mind that made no sense in that moment whatsoever. I remember pictures of, of being in bars, and especially older folks, and nothing against older folks. They're probably younger than me now that I look back on it. But anyway, it's beside the point. They look like they've been road hard, though. I don't know how old they... They probably look like they were 80. Maybe they were 50. But I remember looking at them and just going, is that where I'm headed? Is that what I want? The Spirit was still active. We've used the illustration here over and over, and you'll see it more and more as we go along in the, in the, the five C's that we, that we use here. I don't know if we can get it full up or not. We believe God is helping us to understand this better and better where people are. People who walk in this door every week all the way to the people we meet every day start with conscience. Let me see. Let me explain that again real quick. The conscience is this. Is that Romans 2 says that every man is born with a conscience. Okay, In other words, God has given every man that. But for, for many people and for most people, the natural man specifically that Paul talks about can only operate from that conscience. They don't have the spirit working within them. So they make their decisions based on what they would call their conscience. The decision, whatever shaped it, that's what they base it on. Some would say inside of that they're ignorant. And what I mean by ignorant, not stupid, but ignorant in the sense they don't realize there's an almighty God chasing after them. Or maybe they do it and they've gone to number two, which is they become indifferent. And indifferent is this, where like I was for a decade, I knew there was. I just did everything I can to close it out. And I was indifferent and hardened, Scripture, or we would talk about in the church. We've hardened our heart. Or maybe you've come to number three, and maybe that's where you are today. Don't bring up God to me. Don't, the Christians, don't be messing with me on this, because I'm just combative about that. I'm going to take you to task. We love all of those. And you may be under the ignorant part of it. You may have studied it. And you may have, you may be the most educated atheist 
you're still ignorant of an almighty God who is stirring and chasing after you. But this is what I believe, and you can take it for what it's worth. Where they cross over to concern is when the Spirit begins to woo you. And that's what happened to me in 1986. The Spirit began to stir in me, and I didn't even know what it was. I couldn't explain it. Not when I was, I would go to church a few times, but I'm talking about for weeks we didn't. There was something stirring in me, and I didn't know what to do with it. I just didn't know. But it was that wooing. Then I began to say, honestly, I'm not even sure if I just even skipped past, is it true? I knew it was true. I just wanted to stay at number two over here. Is it true for me? Is it true for me all the time? Then there's this, where we accept Christ as our Savior, where there's this crossing over between concerned and convinced, where we begin to go, this is true, and I'm stepping towards, I don't understand what it means, I don't understand anything about it, but I know this, it's true. Some of you, you're capped though, and that's what I was saying about the church in America, if we're not careful. We get to a certain point, and we stop. And we just say, Holy Spirit, you're not taking that part of my life. You're not getting into that part of my life. I've got, I've got enough of God right here. And we get stuck. See, to me, where the Spirit works, and go ahead and take that down, but where the Spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. See, I believe when the Spirit is active, right choices and right actions begin to smother out wrong ones. You begin to look at things and you say, that's unacceptable. You begin to ask the question like those people there on Pentecost. What does this mean? When you get prompted by something, you don't just go, well, I'm just going to excuse that. You ask, is this the Holy Spirit promptingly? What does this mean? And I realized this morning I could get into whether, whether tongues are, uh, were, were for then or just for now. And, 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 and many of you know we believe tongues is a gift of the Spirit. That was not what was going on in that moment. I know we could get off on a lot of other things this morning. But I believe for many of you today that may not mean anything to you except am I willing to give God every bit, bit of my life and every area of my life. And yes, we should pray for the Holy Spirit to be active in a church service. But you're only here an hour and a half a week. You should be inviting him into every conversation. You should be inviting him into your workplace. You should be inviting him into your car. You should be inviting him into your home. You should be inviting him into your marriage. You should be inviting him into your parenting. You should be inviting him into your finances. You don't take anything off the table. You lay it all on the table and say, show me. What does this mean? What does this mean? We take it off the table, though, don't we? And then we get stuck back to number five. So we just get active in the church and stay busy. And substitute that for living in the power of an almighty God. And people praise us and go, man, you're a worker. You need to do both. <laughs> Ephesians 3, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then we can ask or imagine. But here's the kicker. According to the power that is at work within 
us. They're always for every promise. Every promise in Scripture, there's an action before it or after it in that sense. You must be living in the power for you to be able to have dreams. Again, going back to Jesus is saying, your dream ain't big enough. Oh, I know you want to throw the over Roman Empire. I know you want to get back to where maybe Israel is, back to its inheritance. But I'm telling you, your dream ain't big enough. We're about to change the world. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I shared this with you last week. Many of you think it's like receiving a gift, like if Christmas, if somebody gives me something, then I'll have the gift, but if they don't give it to me, then I won't have it. Or it's like sitting home waiting for the mail to come. If, it, if, if God wants to send this to me, he'll send it to me. Literally, that is not the way that is, is understood there. The definition there is to be active, except with initiative, assertiveness, to lay hold of it. Probably the greatest change in my life over the years is that I don't just work to try to be all Christ wants me to be. I hunger and thirst to be all Christ wants me to be. The word power here means the ability to do something. The gospel always comes with inherent power. But it all depends on the hearer. To those who hear the gospel when it's just simply words... If that's all it is, it has no power. And this may come as a shock to some of you. Because I work full time as a pastor. This may come as a shock to you that somehow or another you believe it's my responsibility To keep that power bucket filled for you. That passion bucket filled for you. It is your responsibility. Every day. To say good morning Holy Spirit. What are we doing today? What's on the agenda? It's up to you to keep it filled. We're here to help people find it. If they've never understood it, then you need to feed it. And one of the challenges I think we've had in America is, is that many pastors find their identity in taking the place of what you're supposed to be doing. I love what Francis Chan says about we've taught people in America to be real comfortable with Moses, but not comfortable with an almighty God. And part of that's out of insecurity as pastors that that makes me something. Let me tell you, if you if I ever teach in here or ever imply to you that you need me for that specific reason, you need to call me out. That is not my role. My role is to help direct you there, but it is your role to continue to feed it. And to be before an almighty God. Be in his word. Be active. Be broken where he shows you. Put everything on the table. 
I'm 57 years old and working real hard on 58. Maybe older, I don't know sometimes. I don't, I, see, I want to spend the rest of my life helping inspire, inspire people who already have the fire burning. If my role the rest of my life is for a bunch of people to come here on Sunday morning and you've let the fire burn out, but somehow I've got to try to stoke that fire and get it back going in, I don't want to do that. I want to help point people who don't understand the fire to the fire. But what I want to spend the rest of my life doing and be with a group of people who say, man, I've been feeding it all week. Just throw a little more gasoline on it this week, tonight. But it's already burning. It's already burning bright. But you're counting on somebody else as the substitute. You're counting on showing up for something, activity as a substitute. Of laying everything in front of an almighty God. Every area. And inviting him in. And saying, what does this mean? Jesus. Guys, I'm going away. But you need me to go away. Because I'll send the one who is ever present. Who is with you everywhere. Who can go across miles. When you pray in my name. You know we were in Arkansas a few weeks ago. And one night we had a. uh, Many of you know. But some of you may not. My niece has started an organization there called Hope Rises. And she is helping women transition. She's got two homes, two awesome old, old, uh, one of them was built in 1855, the other was built in 1920. They're remodeling these homes. We've helped them do that, that, some of the parts of it. But she's got two homes, and they're getting stages. We're helping women come out of prison and transition back in, and it's unbelievable what what the transformation that's happening in those women's lives. It, It really is. But we had a few of them come, one that had been in it a year and one that had just been in it not near as long, come and share with our group of 65 to 70 of us there in Arkansas, come and share on a Wednesday night. And many of those who were sharing, or those who shared, and, and, and even some of the other stories, one of the things, and unfortunately it's on Father's Day I'm going to tell this, but, but one of the things that's missing many times in many of those young women's lives is the father. Or if the father wasn't missing, they were, they were substance abusers. They abused substance in many ways, and they were not around. And you see it over and over and over and over. And I know enough about our young people that we take that that's also a part of their journey. And that night, for whatever reason, after that in our debriefing time, the Holy Spirit moved in that time. And one of our, we've had had more than one, but one of our uh, two siblings, uh, sets of siblings there, brother and sister, just started talking about their journey and, and about their dad. And Andy stopped and prayed. And we prayed across the miles from Little Rock to Arizona. You know why we do this? It's not because it always works. <laughs> we just know God can. So we just keep bringing it before him. I can't explain why one and one does. I don't know all that. And I'm not even going to try to understand it but what I do know is by faith I'm going to keep showing up 
And by faith, I'm going to keep asking. And by faith, I'm just going to let him figure out what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to let him figure out by faith. And Andy just shared with me yesterday. I don't know why he waited a week. Thank you, Andy. No, just picking at him. He gets a text from one of the, from the, from the daughter after he got back. Or maybe while we were still there, I don't know. But he said, hey, Pastor Andy, I just want to let you know. My dad texted me last night. And on Wednesday night, time that all this is going on, he went into rehab. Would it have happened either way? All I know is just keep bringing it before him. All I know is just keep bringing spirit. Your arm is not short. Your ear is not deaf. You keep reaching across these miles. You reach across the world into the, to the ISIS camps. And you, God, you can do it. And many times we pray for all the Christians that are being persecuted or other Muslims are being persecuted and killed. And I get that and we need to be praying. But I need to be praying for men's hearts that can be changed. The Spirit blows where it blows. And the power of the Spirit, I cannot limit it. And we do. Not only do we limit it around the world, we limit it in our own lives. Please hear me. I got some good news for you. The same spirit that helped speak creation into existence, the same spirit that was on King David, the same spirit that, that was on the judges, the same spirit that was on Jesus at his baptism. The same spirit that empowered that early church. The same spirit is accessible to each one of us. Today. What does this mean? I know it doesn't come as a shock to you. But every day you get up, you face a battle. Maybe I'm overstating it for some. You shall receive power. Ephesians 6, putting on the full armor of God to walk in the Spirit every day. And you can decide every day whether you'll fight or whether you'll give in. You can decide every day whether you'll let life happen to you or you can begin to ask an almighty God and inviting him through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to live this out. The wonders of God declaring with power and boldness the wonders of God. You will see your babies born different if you have a privilege of being there. It will look different. You will see the sunset different, the wonders. The Grand Canyon will look different. <laughs> because you now have eyes to see what you couldn't see before. And man, as you progress in your faith, and what I mean by that is, 
I believe things just become clearer and clearer as time goes on. Starts out black and white. I remember 1978. We got our first color TV. We knew about them. <laughs> we just didn't have one. It was unbelievable. But now to look at Ultra HD, 4K, whatever you... Oh, now, man, it's like I could reach in there and touch them. That's what we're talking about. When the Spirit begins to give you sight to see that you couldn't see before, He continues to make your sight better. You begin to hear in people's lives things you never heard before because you were too focused on yourself, partly. But you begin to hear things you never heard before. Begin to speak boldly as we will speak about next week, Lord willing, about Peter. The wonders of an almighty God. Are you willing today to invite him to flood your heart, your home, your car, your dorm? And just watch. Do you hear the wind blowing? If you do, I just want to ask you today. Are you willing to ask? What does this mean? Ask Stuart and him to come back up. We talk about it a lot here. We believe God is raising up a, a great army. <laughs> we believe the Spirit not only convicts us, Sets us free from guilt and shame, as we've already mentioned. But he arms us, not in the way that is a physical tool in our hand, but maybe. You've heard me preach on it multiple times, over the, or mentioned it multiple times over the last six months. When the Spirit comes upon us, and we begin to walk in obedience. Just like Nehemiah said, we're going to put a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And when they are tools, the Spirit, is, he gives gifts as he sees fit. The weapons, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You may be here today and the wind's blowing. And you sense it. I remember the first time I came to a, to a uh, church service after I'd been away from church for 10 years. And Jan will tell you, I walked in and, and it was weird. <laughs> and people, they, they, the, worst, the worst thing they did was they caused us to, they had all the visitors stay seated. And all the other people walked around and greeted you. We didn't do that to you today if this is your first day. And by the way, I told Jan we'll never go back to that church, and we didn't. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Just weird. I think maybe the most fascinating thing for me is over these years is I've walked with the Spirit is how He's changed my heart as much as He's changed my sight and my hearing and my tongue. 
where I'm willing to go and what I'm willing to put my hands to. He has changed my heart to love people unconditionally. I may disagree. I made all the things, but I can love. I can have two, two totally opposing, almost seemingly opposing opinions, if you will. Where I may disagree adamantly with a subject or whatever, but love you wholeheartedly with the love of Christ. And that's taking time. That's Jesus. To being transformed to his image, the Spirit comes to do that. Like loving a rebellious child who you know they're going the wrong way. Your heart breaks for them, but it makes you want to love them and hold them even more. I want to tell you today, for some of you, that's how God sees you right now. It's not going the way he would want it to go, but man, he loves you. And there's hope. We're going to close with a song. Would you stand with, if you would, please? Around these altars. Again, it's unusual in this day and age to ask people to come forward, and I understand that. We don't always do that. But if the Spirit's blowing today in the sense of, do you hear the wind? Nicodemus, do you hear it? Be like the people on Pentecost going, what does this mean? I am not giving up, Lord. I'm a positive aggressiveness. I am not giving up. I'm laying hold of it till you tell me what it means. What does it mean? Pray for us. Lord, help us today to be different people even than when we came in. Lord, I want to be different than when I woke up this morning and just said, thank you, Holy Spirit. To be empowered and to ask you into every conversation and every circumstance for your spirit to be real in my life. But Lord, I pray now across this room for any of those who may just feel like they just need to come and kneel around these altars and pray. And Lord, we know this today. If you don't draw them and you don't call them and they don't respond to you, please don't let them respond to just anything I said, but they're responding to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.